Chapter Forty of the Night Horseman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Night Horseman by Max Brand. Chapter Forty. The Arroyo. He disappeared instantly in that shivering curtain of grayness. Max Strand sat by the ruined house alone. Now, in a time of danger, a child will give courage to the strong man. There is a wonderful communion between any two in time of crisis, and when Haw Haw Langley disappeared through the rain, it was to Max Strand as it was to Patroclus when Apollo struck the base of his neck and his armor of proof fell from him. Not only was there a singular sense of nakedness, but it seemed to him also that the roaring of the rain became a hostile voice of threatening at the same instant. He had never in his life feared any living thing, but now there was a certain hollowness in the region of his stomach, and his heart fluttered like a bird in the air, with appalling lightness, and he wished to be far away. With a clear heaven above him, aye, that would be different, but God had arranged this day, and had set the earth like a stage in readiness for a death. And that was why the rain lashed the earth so fiercely. He looked down. After his death, the wind would still continue to beat that muddy water to foam. Aye, in that very place, all would be as it was at this moment. He would be gone, but the sky and the senseless earth would remain unchanged. A sudden yearning seized him for the cabin among the mountains, with the singing of the coffee-pot over the fire, the good, warm, yellow fire that smoked between the rocks, and the skins he had left leaning against the wall of the cabin to dry. He remembered them all in one glance of memory. Why was he here, then, when he should have been so far away, making his roof snug against this torrent of rain? Now, there would be no rain, surely, in those kindly mountains, their tall peaks would shut out the storm-clouds. Only this plain, these low hills, were the place of hell. He swung the head of his horse to one side, drove deep the spurs, and leaning his head to the volleying of the rain, he raced in a direction opposite to that in which Haw Haw Langley had disappeared, in a direction that led as straight as the line of a flying bird towards that cabin in the mountains. Now and then the forefeet of his great horse smashed into a pool and sent a muddy shower of rain flying up. It crackled against his slicker. It beat like hands against his face. Everything was striving, all the elements of wind and rain, to hold him back. Yet flight brought a blessed sense of relief and of safety. He eased the pace of his horse to a moderate gallop, and no longer driving blindly through the hills, he made out by peering into the blast of rain, some of the pools which lay in his path, and swung aside to avoid them. The rain lightened again about him. He caught a view of the kindly sheltering hills on all sides. But as he urged his horse on towards them, a shrill flight of whistling fell upon his ears from behind. He drew his horse at once to a halt, and listened with his heart knocking at his teeth. It was impossible manifestly, that the fellow could have followed his track through the rain. For that matter, if the wolf-fiend could follow traces over a plain awash with water, why might they not as well follow the tracks of Haw Haw Langley? There was no good reason. The whistling? Well, 
The whistler was far away in the heart of the storm, and the sound was merely blown against the wind by a chance echo. Yet he remained holding his rein taut and listening with all his might. It came again, suddenly as before, sharp and keen as a shaft of light in the blackest heart of night, and Mac Strann leaned over the pommel of his saddle with a groan and drove his spurs home. At the same instant the rain shut in over the hills again. A fresher wind sprang up and drove the downpour into his face. Also its roar shut out the possibility of any sound reaching him from behind. He was the worse for that. As long as the whistling might reach him, he could tell how near the pursuer rode. But in this common roar of the rain, the man might be at any distance behind him. On his very heels, indeed. Aye, Dan Barry might rush up upon him from behind. He had seen that black stallion, and he would never forget those graceful, agile lines, that generous breast, wide for infinite wind, and the great heart. If the stallion were exerted, it could overtake his own mount as if he were standing still. Not on good footing, perhaps, but in this mucky ground the weight of his horse was terribly against him. He drove the spurs home again. He looked back again and again, piercing the driving mist of rain with starting eyes. He was safe still. The destroyer was not in sight. Yet he might be riding close behind that wall of rain. His horse came to a sudden halt, sliding on all four feet and driving up a rush of dirty water before him. Even then he had stopped barely in time, for his forefeet were buried to the knees in water. Before Mac Strand lay a wide arroyo. In ordinary weather it was dry, as all the desert around. But now it had cupped the water from miles around and ran bank full, a roaring torrent. On its surface the rain beat with a continual crashing, like axes falling on brittle glass. And the downpour was now so fearful that Mac Strand for all his peering, could not look to the other side. He judged the current to see if he might swim his horse across. But even while he stared, the stump of a cottonwood went whirling down the stream, struck a rock, perhaps, on the bottom, flung its entire bulk out of the water with the impact, and then floundered back into the stream again, and whirled instantly out of sight in the sheeted rain. No horse in the world could live through such a current. But the arroyo might turn. He swung his horse and spurred desperately along the bank, keeping his eye upon the bank. No, the stream cut back in a sharp curve and headed him farther and farther in the direction of the pursuer. He brought the mighty horse to another sliding halt and swung about in the opposite direction, for surely there must lie the point of escape. Desperately he rode, for the detour had cost him priceless time. Yet it might be made up. Aye, the stream sloped sharply into the direction in which he wished to ride. For distance he could not judge, since seconds were longer than minutes to Max Strand now. And then the edge of the stream curved back again. He thought it must be a short twist in the line of the arroyo, but following it a little further he came to realize the truth. The arroyo described a wide curve, and a sharp one, and to ride down its banks on either side was merely to throw himself into the arms of Whistling Dan. Once he struck his fleshy forehead, and then turned with gritting teeth 
and galloped back for the point at which he had first arrived. To his maddened brain it occurred that the current of the arroyo might by this have somewhat abated. He might now make his way across it. So he halted once more on the bank at that point where the stream doubled back on its course, and once more in an agony studied the force of the current. It seemed so placid at the first glance that he was on the verge of spurring the horse into the wide brown stream, but even as he loosened the reins, a gap opened in the middle of the water, widened, whirling at the brim, and drew swiftly into a fierce vortex with a black, deep bottom. Max Strand tightened his reins again, and then turned his horse and waited. Back the veriest coward against the wall, and he becomes formidable, and Max Strand was one who had never feared before either man or beast or the powers of the storm. Even now he dreaded no reality. But there dwelt in his mind the memory of how Dan Barry had glared at him in the Gilead saloon, and how a flicker of yellow light had glowed in the man's eyes, a strange and phosphorescent glimmer that might be seen in the darkness of night. When he turned the head of his horse away from the arroyo, he waited as one waits for the coming of a ghost. There was the same chill tingling in his blood. Now the blanket of rain lifted and shook away to comparative clearness. Lifted, and for the first time he could look far away across the plains. Nothing but gray, rain-washed desert met his eyes, and then the whistling broke once more upon him at the crest of a trilling run. Max Strand strained his eyes through the mist of the storm, and then he saw, vaguely, as a phantom, the form of a horseman rushing swiftly into the very teeth of the wind. The whistle wavered, ended, and its place the long yell of a wolf cut the air. Max Strand brandished a ponderous fist in defiance that was half hysterical. Man or beast alone he would meet, but a wolf-man... He whirled the horse again and urged him heedlessly into the water. The whirlpool no longer opened before him. It had passed on down the arroyo and left in its wake a comparative calm, so that when the horse took the water he made good progress for some distance, until Max Strand could see clearly the farther bank of the stream. In his joy he shouted to his horse and swung himself clear from his saddle to lighten the burden. At the same time, they struck a heavier current, and it struck them down like a blow from above until the water closed over their heads. It was only for a moment, however. Then they emerged, the horse with courageously pricking ears and snorting nostrils just above the flood. Max Strand swung clear, gripping the horn of the saddle with one hand, while with the other he hastily divested himself of all superfluous weight. His slicker went first, ripped away from the throat and the shoulders, and whipped off his body by one tug of the current. Next, he fumbled at his belt, and tossed this also, guns and all, away, striking out with his legs and his free arm to aid the progress that now forged ahead with noticeable speed. The current, to be sure, was carrying them farther down the stream. But they were now almost to the center of the arroyo, and, though the water boiled furiously over the back of the horse, they forged steadily close and closer to the safe shore. It was chance that defeated Max Strand. It came shooting down the river, and he saw it only an instant too late. 
a log whipping through the surface of the stream as though impelled by a living force, and with arrowy straightness it lunged at them. Max Strand heaved himself high. He screamed at the horse as though the poor brute could understand his warning, and then the tree trunk was upon them. Fair and square it struck the head of the horse with a thud audible even through the rushing of the stream. The horse went down like lead, and Max Strand was dragged down beneath the surface. He came up fighting grimly and hopelessly for life, for he was in the very center of the stream now, and the current swept him relentlessly down. There seemed to be hands in the middle of the arroyo, and when he strove to battle his way to the edge of the water, the current tangled at his legs and pulled him back. Yet even then he did not fear. It was death, he knew, but at least it was a death fighting against the force of nature rather than destruction at the hands of some weird and unhuman agency. His arms began to grow numb. He raised his head to pick out the nearest point on the shore and made his last struggle for life. What he saw was a black head cutting the water just above him, and beside the horse, one hand upon the beast's mane, swam a man. At the same instant, a hand fastened on his collar, and he was drawn slowly against the force of the river. In the stunning surprise of the first moment, he could make no effort to save himself, and as a result, all three were washed hopelessly down the current. But a shrill warning from his rescuer, set him fighting again with all the power of his great limbs. After that, they forged steadily towards the shore. The black horse swam with amazing strength, and breaking the force of the current for the men, they soon passed from the full grip of the torrent and forged into the smoother shallows at the side of the stream. In a moment, firm land was beneath the feet of Max Stran, and he turned his dull eyes of amazement upon Dan Barry. The latter stood beside the panting black horse. He had not even thrown off his slicker in the fording of the stream. There had been no time for even that small delay if he wished to save Strand. And now he was throwing back the folds of the garment to leave free play for his arms. He panted from the fierce effort of the fording, but his head was high, a singular smile lingered about the corners of his mouth, and in his eyes Max Strand saw the gleam of yellow a signal of unfathomable danger. From his holsters, Barry drew two revolvers. One he retained, the other he tossed towards Max Strand, and the latter caught it automatically. Now, said the soft voice of Barry, we're equally armed. Down, Bart. For the wolf-dog was slinking with ominous intent toward the giant. And there's the dog you shot. If you drop me, you can send your next shot in the Bart. If I drop you, the teeth of Bart will be in your throat. Make your own terms. Fight in the way you want. Knives, if you like them. Better than guns, or... And here the yellow flame terribly in Barry's eyes. Bear hand to hand. The grim truth sank slowly home in the dull mind of Max Stran. The man had saved him from the water to kill him on dry land. Barry, he said slowly, it was your bullet that brung down Jerry, but you've paid me back here. There's nothing left on earth worth fighting for. There's your gun. And he threw the revolver into the mud at Barry's feet and turned on his heel and lumbered off into the rain. There was no voice of answer behind him, except a shrill, 
whine of rage from Black Bart, and then a sharp command, down, from the master. As the blanket of rain shut over him, Max Strann looked back. There stood the strange man with the wolf, crouched at his feet, and the teeth of Bart were bared, and the hum of his horrible snarling carried the Strand through the beat of the rain. Max Strand turned again and plodded slowly through the storm. And Danbury? Twice men had stood before him, armed, and twice he had failed to kill. Wonder rose in him, wonder and a great fear. Was he losing the desert? Was the desert losing him? Were the chains of humanity falling about him to drag him down to a tamed and sordid life. A sudden hatred for all men, Max Strand, Daniels, Kate, and even poor Joe Cumberland, welled hot in the breast of Whistling Dan. The strength of men could not conquer him, but how could their very weakness disarm him? He leaped again on the back of Satan and rode furiously back into the storm. End of chapter 40